Hello, how's it and welcome to 3-Bit Design, where we break down some of the most influential games into the three bits that we think defined them the most. I'm Tristan. And I'm Oliver. And this is our excuse to talk about game design together because we like it. We do that in the following structure. We give you a brief on what we're talking about today, and then we look at three topics or areas of discussion of that game. Today, we are talking about Hades. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, indeed. I think there is, there's going to be a lot about this one because we both like it severely, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a reminder to anyone listening for the first time, spoilers, warning, there will be some. Uh, I think Oliver and I were just talking about how we have not <laughs> finished this game in its entirety, uh, but we still feel capable enough to discuss little bits of its design. Yeah. But so. maybe there wouldn't be too many spoilers in this case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, warning, <laughs> pre-warning, meh. Uh, are, are there any points you want to flag before we jump into the brief description of today's title? Take it away. Ahoy! So, Hades is a roguelike action dungeon crawler. It was developed and published by Supergiant Games. We love them dearly. It was released for the PCs and Nintendo Switch in September 2020. And this was after an early access release that was in December 2018. Later on, in 2021, they released for the the bigger consoles, the Playstations, the Xboxes. In Hades, players control Zagreus, who is the son of Hades, as he attempts to escape from the underworld to reach Mount Olympus. And at times, he's aided by gifts bestowed on him from the other Olympians. And then each run challenges the player through a random series of rooms populated with enemies and rewards and so on. Hades was a commercial and critical success. It was acclaimed for its gameplay, its art direction, its music, its narrative, its characters. It sold over 1 million copies and is considered to be one of the best video games of 2020 and was named Game of the Year from several awards ceremonies and media publications. But not the Game Awards. But not the Game Awards, yeah. <laughs> didn't want to say that because I don't know if that's entirely true. <laughs> uh, any other uh, hungering points you felt to add before we jump into bits? Uh, just a bit of praise towards um, the studio because they are now about 20 people, I think. And this game is super polished. I think it always surprises people to know how little people worked on this, mm. uh, considering the quality bar um, and I also read this interesting tidbit on, in Edge magazine about the making of Hades where it was initially going to be based on the myth of Theseus and the Minotaur set in the labyrinth of Crete and it was going to be a telling and re- it's gonna, it was going to be about the concept of telling and retelling myths where each time around the game would be narrated differently as it passes from generation to generation in this roguelike fashion that Hades was. But um, it would then start in a labyrinth and you would end in the underworld, which would be the game's final level. So you went from top to bottom. Um, But three months into the development of this concept, the writer and designer Cassivin came across the son of Hades in his research into the Greek myths, which he had no idea existed. And then he was like, I don't know he exists. A lot of people probably don't know he exists. So let's make a game about him instead. And they also had a few sort of initial prototyping conundrums which caused them to make this pivot. But it's quite interesting because now instead of going from the top to the bottom, they're doing a reverse Diablo as they call it, where you start from the bottom 
um, and go to the top. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Very <laughs> and good. also very interesting. <laughs> uh, Theseus then and the Minotaur are both together one of the bosses in Hades, and so um, basically. Theseus was meant to be the star of Supergiant's new game, but it was usurped by the more charismatic and better-looking counterpart, Zagreus. And then hence, now he's your bitter rival in the game Hades. So it's very meta in that sense. Very cool. Thank you for that. That, that is a nice little thing. I I have the utmost unending admiration and respect for Greg Kassafan, <laughs> his work with Supergiant. Like, really, I understand as an extra tidbit as well that... Have you played Pyre, by the way? Supergiant's game before this I have not, but Bastion was one of my first favorite games. Oh man, Bastion's so good. Yeah. So good. Um, I think they did something phenomenal with the narrative and the storytelling in Pyre. There was so much of it. Uh, for one thing, there is no sort of fail state in that game. Like There's always narrative depending on what happens in the mm. game. Uh, but they had so much of it um, that in order to see it all to experience it all you'd have to play through multiple times and many players didn't do that and part of the structure of hades the roguelike nature of it um, was explored so that the player could experience all these branching stories mm. uh, and that they would get it over multiple runs so yeah kudos to them kasavan notwithstanding but like the whole team uh, for doing that and figuring out that zagreus is the one to do it for yeah they've every new game of theirs is always a little bit of a step up from the previous but feels like connected in a way right yeah a lot of mechanics and elements absolutely coming back yeah right well with that out the way shall we dive into bit number one we shall and that first bit is repetitive fun so hades and it's rogue like light i think they say they say roguelike the mm. studio themselves yes so um, Hades and its roguelike structure. Um, Hades was the first game to really feed a narrative into a roguelike structure in a very effective manner. Uh, that was sort of the big thing they pushed with this game. Um, they called it themselves a narrative roguelike. It's sort of the thing they wanted to... Um, it was a USP for making this game. They they wanted to make a roguelike. They thought, how can we make it original with so many good roguelikes already out there? And the sort of narrative drive was their main factor for that. Um, and one of the quotes from Kasavin that I read was also uh, his. He was they they were asking the question, how can we make the thrills of roguelikes available to more people? That was also one of their pillars with the game where there's a lot of great roguelikes out there, but a lot of them have hard skill ceilings and uh, floors to come across before getting into it. So they wanted to make it a bit, they want to make it a bit more approachable for all types of gamers. Um, and so this whole narrative angle made the repetitiveness of roguelikes a lot more uh, enjoyable of an experience um, so they establish in the game they establish the roguelikeness of the world very much in its narrative so um, I think the first run you do the narrate when you inspect this element in the first room the narrator tells you randomized interlocking chambers are so that the dead can never escape 
which is kind of like the lowest level of hell where you start. So it all makes sense why the rooms keep shifting. It's sort of like a, a maze for the dead to keep them in hell. Um, you also, when you then die, you always revive in the pool of blood uh, in Hades' house, which is the home, his home in the underworld with Hades. And since you're already in hell, uh, you can't really, like, it makes sense. You die and you're still in hell type of thing. It's, it, it's all very nicely interwoven into the narrative. And also, every time you then have that fresh restart and you come, there's, you will come, even though it's randomized and a bit procedurally generated, the rooms, you will come across rooms you've seen before. There's always like set rooms that you come across that are specifically designed, obviously, to make it a good experience. But then in some of those rooms, you will suddenly see this yellow orb that you can interact with, get a bit more narrative out of it, and that keeps the rooms you've seen before fresh, where you pick up new date details about it as the narrator tells you about them. Um, and same with the gods. So every run you come across gods, it seems like in the f it will take you a few runs to meet all the, the whole cast. There's quite a few gods in this game. Um, so every time you sort of pick up one of these boons, you talk to the gods um, and they give you new uh, as you touched on in the introduction, they give you new abilities that you can pick up to empower yourself. Um, but every time you talk to these gods, it's like a little bit of a... You're building the relationship with the gods, which makes it interesting and makes it fun to come across them again when you restart and kind of makes you want to restart and come across them again. Um, it's also all of the gods and interactions there are voiced, which helps tremendously, I think. Um, I think I read there is pretty you pretty much don't come across any repeated voice lines until the X hundredth run or something because there is over three hundred thousand words written for this game, mm. um, and because of that, also a lot of the cast is actually voiced by the dev team. There's uh, the composer plays Hades and Skelly. Um, Casavin, you you're referring to Darren Corb. Do you mean Hades or do you mean Zagreus? Uh, Zagreus, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Zagreus. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> he plays, yeah, yeah, he plays Zagreus and Skelly. So if you're if you're in the room training your swords, you're, you're kind of talking to yourself, the character. <laughs> and then you've got Kasavin himself plays Hypnos, the, the sort of guy that wakes up when you come out of the pool and he reacts to your previous run and who you died to. Which is I did not actually know that. Oh, yeah? No, I didn't. I didn't realize so many of them had done voices uh, for it. And yeah. I didn't even know that that was him. That's awesome. <laughs> and then the, and the, the narrator, which is the same narrator they used in Bastion, I think. Yes. He also, he, and he, he plays, he's, I think he voices almost every, if not every of their games. Yeah. Um, he plays a huge bunch of the characters. He plays Hades, Poseidon, Achilles, Charon, and Asterius. Oh my gosh! I mean, okay, yes, I knew they would have used Logan. It's Logan Cunningham, I think, is their mm. their like voice actor who works for Supergiant, as far as I understand. He's not like oh, a, right. yeah, they yeah. don't hire him. So yeah, for a I, thing embedded in the dev team, I guess. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, other things that make it repetitive fun: different objectives makes restarting less frustrating. So there's different things you can focus on each run because of the 
the breadth of the game. So one run, you might focus on one resource collection, uh, another run on another. Things you can focus on are like the tiers for the mirror upgrades, which gives you um, perks, I guess, in a sense, that allow you to... Um, you can equip those and upgrade those to make them better on your next run. You can collect nectar. You can focus on collecting nectar for friendship upgrades. The, the sort of branching path system of the interlocking chambers of, of, of the dungeons kind of help with this because you're choosing your path uh, depending on what, what resource you're most interested in collecting each run. So the nectar can be used for friendship upgrades to progress narrative with between the characters, relationships. Um, finding the god you want to chat to and upgrade could be one of your focuses in a run. You could focus on finding keys to unlock weapons, finding trinkets for your perk collection. Um, and you could also uh, get resources, focus on getting the resources for your home upgrades, which is another whole um, sort of meta system in the game where you can just upgrade the renovations. You can upgrade things within your run, so you can find more pots with gold and things by getting that upgraded. But you can also upgrade things in the home of Hades, which is very interesting, because you're technically funding Hades' furnishings. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he's kind of like the arch nemesis not letting you out of this place. Um, so you're, yeah, you're funding your primary foe by doing that, but it's but it's, uh, I guess it's a bit of fun and a bit of more of an incentive to do that. Mm, I love that it does that, though, because, I mean, this is the thing we expect from roguelikes, right, is the failure loop. And the whole mm -hmm. point about a roguelike is that you, you're learning and mastering the rules of the system. And what you've just highlighted that Hades does so well is that it makes that, that core loop of that failure loop uh, worthwhile. And, like, yeah. that's still part of the game itself, which I really like. And... Yeah, yeah, spot on. Yeah, they're all about. They're they're really trying to make dying fun. Mm. I don't know if it's ever fully achievable to make dying fun, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think they did a very good job with it. Um, another sort of big factor in this making it repetitive fun is the codex, which uh, keeps building up. You sort of keep discovering more lore about the area and the enemies and stuff the more you play. So the more you visit locations, the more you learn about it in the codex. The more you talk to characters, the more you learn about them in the codex. The more you use a weapon, the more you slay the enemy types, the more you collect resources. You all learn more about each of those things each time you do them. And each time you emerge, you're progressing the story and building characters' relationships through this way uh, just all collected in this codex book, which is an interesting mechanic. Some people might not be interested in reading all this codex stuff, but it's definitely something that helps. And I think a final interesting bit that helps this repetitive fun is the mystery in some of these upgrade things. So the the mirror, where you do the tier upgrades, uh, you can when you start the game, you only see five of the upgrades, I think. There's five initially and then you need to pay five keys to unlock the next set and then i think there's another upgrade you can do it with it with more keys that sort of flips the mirror around to a whole different set of upgrades so it's like you always know there's more abilities and stuff to unlock within there but you don't know what not knowing what it's going to be 
makes some of these things even more exciting, I think, which sort of makes you go for that extra run and see what's behind the next unlock. Mm, there's so much unknown and there's so much you can always learn mm -hmm. throughout the progress. Yeah, and same same with uh, sort of the codex unlocks and things. You like There's like three dots, I think, every time that there is more to unlock and it says like, do this much more to to find out more and it's like you don't know what 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 there is going to be to find out more but uh the, it's kind mo of like the motivation in the ellipsis all the time <laughs> so yeah that's bit number one unless you have anything to add we nope. can no no that's push I, on. solid super solid i i wanted to uh, explore in addition to all these excellent points you've raised about how repeating the gameplay is is made fun. I wanted to look at the mechanical resourcefulness of how um, Supergiant expands on very simple systems. But I think we can look at that or at least think about that in looking at the second bit. So I'm happy to move on to mm -hmm. the second bit. I agree. It sort of works nicely together. Yeah. Bit numero dues. <laughs> Sorry, that failed dismally. Number two. Encouraging experimentation and variety. So here, I suppose I was looking at the question, why am I as a player compelled to have another go at a run? Because I think anyone you have you can speak to who has played Hades will tell you they struggle to put down that game. It has an excellent mm -hmm. uh, gameplay loop. So I thought about this, and the simplified first answer I have is that we explore through experimentation and the depth of the game uh, that allows for this is in the variety of weapons that compound very basic player verbs so you can move you can dodge and you can attack in three different ways and then boons compound those verbs out even further and you get like a whole stack of things you could possibly do. Then there's trinkets that offer changes to all of those things. Uh, and then there's different purchases on the road that also alter the, the things you've done. And I thought, mm. oh my gosh, this is this glorious exponential, like a big bang explosion of possibilities, which made me think that actually it led into a second answer about what I consider a possibly better answer, which is the bit or the interrogation I would offer to you, Oliver, and to our discussion is balancing player choice is what encourages the experimentation with more or even all of the gameplay elements. What I mean by that mm. is that the player is in control of what they're fighting for next. You kind of hinted at it when you, when you raised the repeatable fun thing now. It's that the player is complicit in the fate of their run because they've chosen, they've chosen what to do or where to go in the simplicity of that design of when I clear a room, I get to choose what's next. What reward do I want? What am I chasing this run? As you said, am I looking mm -hmm. for keys? Am I looking for this? And I think that's empowering to the player and that empowerment leads to exploration. It leads to experimentation because it's a safe space. It's like, I'm in control of this thing. I have agency. I'm going to do the things. Yeah. So Very true. Uh, because I like a good quote, me, uh, <laughs> I found one in a game design deep dive book on roguelikes by Joshua Beiser. Uh, it's a 2021 book. And they say, no matter how much or how little RNG there is in a roguelike, there is one golden rule regarding player's experience that must be followed. The player needs to understand the consequences 
of their decisions. So that's like <laughs> the the next step of this thing of me saying, well, it's the choice. The all the choices that the player gets to make is what makes it so interesting and what encourages experimentation. And now I follow that up by saying, well, the player has to understand that they've made these decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the thing I think about that is. You know, we can wax lyrical about this in whatever direction we want, but I would attribute Hades' strongest design element in this context to be seeing that your base action, like your attack, your special, your cast, you know, those those key buttons, your dash even, so the four face buttons, that they're immediately altered by the choice of boon you pick uh, or the weapon yeah. you've chosen. And I think that's terribly exciting to me. And there's... The last thing to wrap off my point here is uh, a quote by one of the tech designers, Alice Lai, I think. Uh, it was taken from the Roguelike Celebration channel. There's a wonderful video where they, they speak about this, and I've learned wonderful things about this. <laughs> is they In Hades, they kind of confine or limit the number of, of choices the player has to make in a run to a certain number so that it is understandable. Because if that... Uh, flowered into too many it would be too overwhelming for a player Hmm. so they use silos of power so they define boundaries of systems where you are given two choices of three options each so you make at minimum nine options uh sort of in a in a run i think was what they were trying to say i don't know how true that is uh, and i don't know to what degree and i might be misquoting it but there is a number that is a sort of limit and then there is a compounding kind of effect that happens on making the player choose, here's your boon, choose one of these three things, cool, it does something. In the next room, uh, you get to choose whether you increase one of those things or whether you get a new one, you know? And it's that cascading kind of choice and seeing it immediately affecting your run that mm. I think is the most interesting and is the thing that encourages experimentation. Yeah. And I think I think what you say about like sort of the immediate effects as well. I think there's it just it just talks to the polish of the game where even if so if you've like upgraded your basic attack with one of the boons, then even though it might not have, for example, it's like plus twenty percent damage or something was the boon. Mm. You there's no there shouldn't be any immediate visual effect of that mm. but still because you did the you did that through poseidon or whatever your slash will have a blue glow to it or something mm. it's mm. like these little details that sort of make you instantly it's kind of like instantly rewarding to whatever you chose um which is very nice i think i also wanted to touch on um what you said about uh about sort of the choices of which room you're going to go into next. I think I think they do it really cleverly because they kind of give you that sense of choice, but then also end up railroading you whenever they need to. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it feels like you're like it feels like very branching path and you're doing you're doing your thing, but then if they want to push the story beat of uh if they want to push the story beat of the big guy with the boulder, uh, Sisyphus, mm-hmm. I think his name was. Yeah. Then the next room is only Sisyphus that you can go to, and <laughs> and that's and they they push the narrative forward. So it's it's very oh, it's yes. a good sort of balance they struck there between. Yeah, and strangely, yeah. again, I'm not 
me personally, anecdotally, when I play, that doesn't throw me off as much. Like, no, I don't feel yeah. frustrated by, oh, I usually get two choices. Now I only have one. Oh, I'm being no. forced. I never felt that way for some reason. I'm always like, it's just the nature of the underworld that I now only have this path. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think, I, I also didn't find it frustrating. And I think I only sort of picked that up because I am a game designer looking at what's making this work type of thing you know mm, yeah. <laughs> if i was if i was a casual player it would just be like all right next room <laughs> bring it on i'm moving fast Precisely. um i also think another thing i wanted to touch on on this bit was uh just like that it's catering to all play styles um which is encouraging experimentation and variety because players can they can kind of ignore most of the narrative if they want for example mm -hmm. you don't have to talk to anyone in the house of hades you can just go straight into your run play you will have to sort of encounter the text of the gods once you accept their boons but other than that it's you can just plow on and play a completely action focused game uh, but you could inspect everything and talk to everyone for a more narrative experience um, also interestingly with that they um like the game reacts to the decisions and actions you make which i think um pushes you to try out different things so talk to a god by t by buying their boon from karen's shop they will acknowledge that they're they're talking to you from karen's shop i don't know if i've noticed that before <laughs> yeah it's really cool they're like oh it's kind of stuffy in here isn't it and <laughs> and then um also choose a god over another in a dilemma and they'll get upset until you win them over things like that you can crush an enemy under under a pillar of debris and the character will say and your character like grunts crushed um he calls that enemy names when he spots them for the first time uh get killed by a boss the last time around and they'll know that you killed them or like or they killed you they'll know who won the previous time um also hypnos at, at the in the in the house of hades sort of reacts to how you died yeah. and reacts differently every yeah. time, which is very fun. Um, if you break pots in Sisyphus' room or, like, walk through ghosts and stuff, he reacts to that. Like, he says, break all the pots you like. <laughs> so, <laughs> and is that something you did recently? <laughs> I was I was kind of, like, playing around seeing how much, how much the game reacts to you, which is, I think, is super cool and sort of, like, makes you want to experiment and try different things right? that's it that's exactly it it's like it's seeing not just seeing your choices have an effect but that the game is reacting to you exactly yeah it's super fun mm -hmm. and, I, and even i was even reading that i haven't experienced this but uh Kassabin was saying in his edge article that uh, they even sort of accounted for a response for the characters in the House of Hades, if you've played a hundred hours and completed the whole ending of the game without ever stopping to talk to them, so they've implemented a specific response for people that have just completely ignored them until they've completed the game and then talked to them. <laughs> so it's like that. They've taken so much into account. <laughs> is, that's in a an interview in a GDC podcast with Greg Casavan. He he was talking about the importance of dumb stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> he calls it dumb stuff, but it's like the pointless stuff, um, and he means it in an affectionate way. I think that's yeah. what he's referring to. It's like these unnecessary things in the game that, paradoxically, can make a game very special, as you've just mm. highlighted. Yeah, and like maybe one person will see. <laughs> that's it. We make the game for this one possible person, don't we? Yeah. 
Yeah. And just a final thing on this topic as well. I think the similar to catering to our playstyles, the sort of weapon variety and choice in this game is very important there, I think. Mm. Um, so there's this whole set of weapons and there's more offensive ones, there's more defensive ones, there is more ranged weapons, more close range weapons. Um, and you can sort of play to your own play style. And then, but then the thing comes in where you said, where they're kind of like um, nudging you towards choices, which I think helps make it more casual game. So there will be empowered weapons each run, which will allow you to gain a percentage extra of uh, tier resources, for I example. I do that all the time. Like, exactly, I don't even yeah. think about the weapon I'm about <laughs> to take on another run. I just go, which one is going to give me more of yeah, that me too. currency? Exactly. Yes, thank and it's, you. I think that sort of helps. Not only does it help make it more a casual experience, like you're like, I don't even think about it. I pick that one and I try again. Um, but it also allows you sort of... It, it pushes players that would normally stick to the to their favorite weapon or like the one they're getting the furthest with to try different things and and uh, unlock these different play styles to keep the experience fresh, right? Yeah, yeah. And the more you play with the different types of weapons, you unlock more of the lore again in the codex and things like that. There's the always perks. more. There's always and more. And the trinkets level up the more you use them, things like that. There are so many systems and so, so many, many things. things. It's it's glorious. It's very <laughs> well done and there's so much depth. Is that in a way or a place that we can close up bit number two? Yes. Glorious. We are filling them up to the brim of each glass that we down of these bits. We are rambling with information. Love it. So let's <laughs> let's proceed quite swiftly to bit number three. Bit number three is the biggest important player-centric bit of them all feel like a god. So, why does Hades feel so damn good to play? Um, I think there's a lot of factors at play here. It's It just feels everyone that plays it just sort of gets hooked into it with how good it feels to do the fighting, to do the dodging, how fast it feels, how responsive it feels. And so I kind of wanted to dive in with this bit a bit more into what makes it such a actively fun experience and uh, responsive. So one of the main things here, I think, is auto-aiming. There is a whole lot of auto-aiming going on in this game. So that allows for a very fast-paced action I think you're kind of like darting around the room with your dodges but still hitting enemies all due to this auto aiming uh, it kind of gives you and I think this auto aiming also helps giving you the feeling of mastery and even on your first run you can already feel quite powerful which is very rare in a game I think a lot of, in a lot of games you kind of feel like the first run you're just like hitting very slowly and you're getting to grips with the controls but in Hades with sort of the fast dash you have and the the powerful attack as well as the light attack um, I think and with the boons that help you in every room you quickly start to feel like a god which is very a very strong thing I think it's a very strong onboarding in this game yeah. in terms of how smooth you quickly feel mm -hmm. And I think this auto-aiming has a lot to do with it. You can literally... I was testing this out earlier. Can, with the dash attack, you can literally dash almost parallel 
with an enemy, not straight heads on with it, but parallel to it, and it will the animation of the hitting, the SFX, the special effects of the hit will be like right next to you instead of in front of you. So Interesting. <laughs> kind of like completely missing the mark, but it's still hitting the the enemy. So mm. there's a lot of things like that. Also with the more trickier weapons like the bow and the spear, where it's all about where it's all like directional stuff. They're all, they're helping you where you throw the spear and things like that. They're helping you so much by just locking onto an enemy the, the second you press that button, which makes it feel so high-paced and so responsive and great as a result. I guess some people... I haven't heard anyone not liking it, but I guess for some people that might feel like cheating. But um, mm. it's very effective in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another part of that is... Uh, I don't know the exact technical term for frames in combat but uh, there's this important thing in when designing combat in games uh, you either decide to have it really slowly responsive the frames where you have to kind of wait out the full animation of the swing which Dark Souls and games like that do before you can perform your next action or you can interrupt the actions early and move on to the next and I think Hades very much focuses on the latter where you can, yeah. you have to, you do the strike, but once you've performed the strike, you can immediately, um, while while your hand is still outstretched or something, you can immediately move on to the next move. Yeah, you which, you can cancel out of the things, can't you? Yeah. So you're not waiting for your character to recover from this from from lunging out or whatever. You can immediately dash away. Yeah, versus something like Dark Souls, thing. as you say, the recovery frames are like there and you have to wait before your input even registers. Right, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So in that sense, that's also helping a lot with the how, how it feels so energetic and fast-paced to play, for sure. Um, I think also the combos all play very nicely with this. So you've got the dash, you've got combos of the light attacks, you've got the heavy attacks, and then you've got the special, I think it's called, Yes. where, where you throw the red... Oh, the cast. Oh, the cast. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, the special is the heavy attack, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you can kind of you can dash and you can dash and use one of those attacks, which kind of there's like a dash strike. And depending on the weapons, there is more combos and things like that. You can charge, uh, and you can all use all those things very, very nicely in combination with each other. So you can do from a light attack into a dash strike into a special attack. Um, it's uh, and then the more sort of boons you get, the more sort of this energy starts to this synergy between the abilities starts to grow, as well as things you unlock through the mirror and things like that, where you get an extra dash and things like that. You just it just keeps making you feel faster and quicker and more powerful. There are times when I get a, a Hermes boon where i go i can't get any faster and it's like <laughs> yes you can yeah. every time i see hermes come up as one of the options i'm like yes we need to go faster we need, we need more dodge <laughs> go fast <laughs> um and then a third part of that sort of fluidity feeling i think is definitely just transitions uh between rooms you kind of like the second you press the button to open the door it opens super fast you can go through the next room loads the loading times are super fast yeah i think all of that is like 
it just plays together. So, like, it feels like you're speed running all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, <laughs> godly optimization is what they achieved. Yeah. It's, yeah, you're just like, you're smashing through this dungeon at a crazy pace. Mm. And the abilities plus the responsiveness and the loading times just makes it feel like such a fluid, reactive, responsive experience together with then those grunts of things you do and and things you come across. I think that all helps to like the reactiveness of the character to the environment. Um, helps with that, and I think, yeah, the environmental responsiveness as well as the soundtrack. Oh yeah, Darren Corb did phenomenal work once Beautiful. again uh, on Hades. Keeps things very upbeat, and I think even it, it, there's kind of like an illusion of mastery. Even I find in this game where it feels like you're getting more agile and faster. It feels like you're getting better, but a lot of the time it's just like you unlock the second dash and <laughs> and these extra perks in the mirror that make you take less damage. And it kind of feels like that's definitely helping make you have that feeling of mastery where a lot of the times it's just abilities going up. And I also think the, I think the progressive environmental changes as you go through the levels in Hades um, also sort of make you adapt to this fast-paced play style uh, more and more, I think, which makes you like uh, get immersed in the game better, I think. Such as you start in the lower depths where it's all pretty safe. There's no, there's no environmental hazards. But then once you go to the, uh, to the second layer of hell where there is the fire pits and things like that, you need to constantly dodge from island to island to avoid the flames and then the third zone there is in that one there's already bombs as well which you need to avoid and then the third zone oh actually the first zone has bombs yes even. they're once then, off though if i'm not mistaken and then i don't know yes if right 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 the, and then yeah. in the third zone they yeah. start respawning yeah so there and then in the third zone you also have these sort of uh arrows flying across the screen and and things that start stabbing you like statues <laughs> yeah there's a lot more so. <laughs> traps on the go in yeah. elysium and the the enemies placements and things like that and the levels also sort of add to that where you start getting more chargers mixed with melees and ranged enemies like it's it starts adding up to the point where you need to more and more you need to keep moving and more and more you get sort of in in tune with what hades tries to offer in its high-paced action on that bombshell, I hope that that is us wrapping up bit number three. <laughs> yes, it is. I only say hope because I'm aware that we try to pack a lot of information into this one, and I'm not sorry to our listeners because and we did, we did it, and we I crammed. Yeah, we crammed. And we, <laughs> we like this game a lot. You can tell, um, Oliver. Thank Play you it. so very much for sharing your thoughts and game design like interests here on this one. Thank you so much as well. I. I... I've always wanted to discuss this game with a fellow game designer, and it's been very fruitful. Yes, it has. I feel like we there is potential in this title specifically to pick like one unique aspect and to really just go deep on all the things that that means for the game. Like we could potentially yeah. do a whole separate episode just on <laughs> one thing. Uh, I love it. But it is that time at the end of the episode where I get to ask you, Oliver, what are you playing right now? Right now, 
<laughs> I just I finished Stray last week. Well done. And then I finished the um, the supermassive game. The latest one. Yeah, the quarry. That's the one. Sorry to date our podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean the quarry. Yeah. No date attached. <laughs> that. I just finished that one last night as well. Um, so that was... Uh, I really enjoyed that one. I think that's probably one of my favorites, maybe tied with or just behind House of Ashes from Supermassive. Interesting. Um, but I managed. we managed to screw things up in like this second to last scene so badly that basically the ending played out like an ending the game didn't account for or something because... <laughs> It really sort of ended quite weirdly and suddenly where things didn't really tie together. So the ending wasn't great and I will have to sort of dive back in to to see what the other endings could have been. <laughs> you messed but, up um, the entire intricate yeah. narrative branching system. It was by... all going so well until literally the second to last scene where, <laughs> where I tried something that the game didn't want me to try and then... He wasn't happy with it, and everything went wrong. I see. So. I have a question. Did you play that alone? No, I played it with my partner. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we, was... we did the whole controller passing. Oh, nice. That's pretty it's cool. Yeah, game. I've heard that the quarry is a, a return to, you know, form basics for Supermassive. Yeah, it's very, very high quality, high blockbuster. And the writing is it's very, it's, it's very funny as well, which is... I think some of the previous games have lacked relatable... Writing a little bit mm-hmm. kind of felt like uh, some of them kind of felt like American college type writing uh, done by British people. <laughs> like, there wasn't uh, there wasn't a very fluid connection there in the dialogue, but this one was very well done, I think. I see. I see. Nice. Well, uh, in comparison, I have not finished any games in the last couple of weeks, but Mm -hmm. I have started playing Age of Empires 4. Have you ever played the Age of Empires games? I played the original trilogy, yes. Oh, well done. They were so cool. I I played Age of Empires 2 a lot, and I played a little bit of Age of Empires 3, but then that was towards the end of the lifespan of my original PC, and then I haven't Mm. had one for like over a decade. And now I have one again, and I'm like, hey, this is on Game Pass. Let me actually see what this is about. And it's all of the things I remember Age of Empires being. <laughs> and it's just, it's so shiny and so lovely. And that historical documentary aesthetic that they're going for in the campaign, I'm here for. It's it's really interesting. It's really cool. So I'm thoroughly enjoying a little bit of RTS time, because I don't think too many games run into the real-time strategy genre anymore. Mm. So it's quite cool. So yeah, enjoying that. Yeah. Oh, and I also finished. <laughs> Tell me. I also finished Deliver Us the Moon, which Ooh. I was interested in purely because of the setting. I quite like sort of a bit like thrillery space games. Um, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> I played through it the entire thing because it was kind of like the setting and things. Mm. And being on the moon was was exciting enough for me to play it through. But yeah, I, w- I probably wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I, I'm interested clunky. in the studio that made that game because I think they did well enough with an audience uh, of fans enough to make a sequel. Didn't they deliver us 
Mars, I think, is the oh, yeah? sequel. So I think they may have solved some of the problems or the niggles <laughs> that caused you to dislike it somewhat. Mm. Uh, but yeah, well done on having three games you're playing <laughs> <laughs> to my one. Yeah. Oh, good. It is the nature of the things. All right. Thank you so much for listening to those who are still with us at the end of the podcast. Oliver, how can people get a hold of us? Follow us at 3 Bit Design on Twitter. And that it's is a all. good place to follow. <laughs> Some people may disagree with that statement, but we're going to ride it to the end of this podcast. Uh, Oliver, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. There is no more to be said other than goodbye and have a lovely time. Goodbye, goodbye. And play Hades if you haven't. Yes. It's do it. great. <laughs> Farewell. Bye. Bye.